Hey friends, welcome to Boss Barista, the podcast about workplace equity and employee empowerment in coffee and beyond. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. My guest today is Eric Grimm, a close friend of mine and someone who's involved in the coffee industry in a variety of capacities. If it's out there to do, Eric has done it. Eric both works with Ghost Town Oats and the Chocolate Barista, does consulting work for mobile coffee events, and is also the director of positive outcomes at Glitter Cat Barista, an organization started by their wife, Veronica Grimm. Glitter Cat hopes to reimagine the coffee industry by making events more inclusive. And one of the ways that Eric has approached building more accessible spaces is by examining how human resources functions. Human resources, or HR, is a complicated subject within the food and beverage world. Maybe you've heard the phrase HR protects companies and not people, and felt like that described your experience. Or maybe you've never interacted with an HR person before at all. In this episode, Eric explains the intention of a human resources department or point person, highlighting their role in setting the culture or tone of a business and emphasizes the need for workers to understand their rights and how HR can help them. Of course, that doesn't always happen. And this episode shines a light on how hard it can be to advocate for yourself. Listening to this again, I learned so much about my own work history, how I misunderstood labor laws or made mistakes that I couldn't quite identify at the time as I was talking to Eric. I hope this conversation helps you feel empowered in your job but also allows you to feel grace for yourself, and that inspires you to grow and take action. Eric shares a generous amount of empathy and care throughout this episode, and it's a perspective that really resonated with me and perhaps was needed more than I thought. Here's Eric. I'm going to start recording on my end. Eric, let's start by having you introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Eric. <laughs> Just that. That's um, it. That's enough. Hi. <laughs> That's it. That's it. I'm Eric. Um, I'm Eric. I um, I am a 13-year coffee industry veteran at this point. I um, hold a great many positions. I uh, um, recently referred to myself as a renaissance bitch, and I think that that holds very true with what I'm doing right now. Um one of the big things that I'm doing is I work for uh, Glitter Caparista, which was founded by my wife, Veronica. I hold the position of Director of Positive Outcomes, which is a term from animal sheltering, actually. And it just very much fits in with a lot of what I do for the program, which is um, I like to think of myself as an emotional support animal. Anybody who goes through the program, I make sure that they're feeling okay. I make sure that imposter syndrome isn't totally consuming them. And I also uh, get to do a great many projects within the program. One of them is uh, directly related to hospitality and HR, which I'm really excited about. Tell me about how this part of Glitter Cat started. Uh, Just to give some background on Glitter Cat, it is a way for people within the coffee industry who maybe don't have access to expensive training materials, coaches, or anything like that to compete in these big barista competitions. Um, We've talked a little bit about them in the podcast before, but essentially there are barista competitions 
they're a big deal. Um, there's a lot of bells and whistles. And Glitter Cat helps people of marginalized identities compete in these competitions. But then during COVID-19, transitioned into being a digital competition so that people could still participate, learn about coffee, enter the coffee community. Um, but there are all these other projects that Glitter Cat does in terms of bettering the the industry. So how did some of these projects sort of start springing up? Yeah, so... We like to believe that Glitter Cat is this umbrella organization, that anybody who goes through it, probably initially to compete in some sort of competition, be it the U.S. Coffee Champs or our own digitition, um, they can do whatever they want to try to reimagine the coffee industry, and we'll support them any way we can. So back in June of 2020, there's obviously this big national reckoning on race. Uh, there are coffee companies just coming out of the woodwork to either respond to their own crises, which kept piling up, obviously, and also those who had fewer crises who just, you know, put out their plans to either um, hire more black baristas, uh, promote more black coffee professionals, make their cafes more welcoming spaces, uh, deal with unconscious bias, and a lot of it was bullshit, frankly. <laughs> I think we were, I think a lot of us were put off by certain things and a lot of us still knew that something needed to be done. And so we worked on a commitment to black coffee professionals and enthusiasts that included something where we would work with retail coffee businesses to try to establish some sort of standards. So I worked on this project initially with Bud Talaferro, and we wanted at first to be like super righteous about it, to just be like, hey, businesses, what are you going to do to be accountable to your promises here? Um, what are you going to do about everything that's going on in the nation currently and what are you going to do in an extended way past the point where the news cycle is constantly reporting on it and initially it was very just like rah rah we're going to do this and we're going to make everything better and then we realized it's not quite that easy for one thing being a business owner is incredibly difficult. It comes with a lot of responsibilities that we're not necessarily aware of, you know, even in some administrative roles. And it just boiled down to operations are really tough to change, but they can be changed. And the way that you can change them is through human resources. Human resources deals with all of this stuff. It's not just, you know, who writes your paychecks. It's not just who deals with, you know, grievances. It really touches every element of the business. And so initially, um, we were getting Bud certified to be a human resources associate professional. And then I decided to do it as well while we were working with our two initial uh, beta test companies, basically, which are Greenway Barista in Houston and Vertex Coffee Roasters in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And so I recently just completed my associate human resources professional certification. And it was a wild experience. <laughs> I have to I, I have to hope that you got some sort of very fancy certificate that you're going to frame and hang up in your home. 
I did not get a certificate. I got a digital badge, which seems so just like modern, right? It's like, right. Di- <laughs> it's like, it's the equivalent of what, like a hundred likes on Instagram or something like that. I love that. I love the, the equivalency. Um, some of the experience that you have wanting to learn more about HR has a little bit to do with your own background, though, I, I believe, right? Yeah, Absolutely. I'll be perfectly honest, a lot of my motivation to get HR certified came out of pettiness, (laughs) (laughs) which, you know, (laughs) the founding of Boss Barista is pretty much all pettiness. So I understand that. Exactly. Right. Like you take your anger about something and you don't say, hey, I don't need to be angry. I just need to make my anger into something. I need to have my anger be a motivating factor to then make things better for people. And I don't necessarily even need to rub it in the faces of the people who have made me angry before. but. Basically, my background with HR before was I worked for small coffee companies for years, and there wasn't any HR. There was just, you know, a lot of really well-intentioned small business owners who could not handle everything. And so grievances went unanswered. um, A lot of fights happened. And often it was just, oh, well, I need to move on from this company and find another small company, which I think is how it works with a lot of people who work with very small companies. I just did an interview with uh, Sierra Yo from the Core Directive. She's based in the United Kingdom. And that was a theme that kept coming up in our conversation constantly, was that you work at a company, you start out thinking things are great, but the minute that there are problems, there's no recourse for how to deal with them. So then you just keep moving on. And it feels like your career just keeps going in this lateral direction because as we were talking about it, we realized that there's no, for a lot of coffee companies, there's no way to deal with conflict. Exactly. And it's a maddening experience, just the back and forth, just the, you know, leading with your emotions, which is, you know, not necessarily the sign of a good leader, but also is not something that is being taught to leaders. I think, you know, generally you just get into this position, especially if you're a coffee shop manager of, hey, you've been doing a great job as a barista, maybe even a lead barista. Of course you can manage. But there's not often a guidebook, especially for these smaller companies. So your desire to learn more about HR was partially driven by the work that you were committed to doing to Glitter Cat, partially driven by your past experiences, I was wondering, what was your conception of HR before you started this course? Because I know for me, the first thing I think of when I think of HR is, oh, they're there to protect a company. They're not here to protect me. 100%. And that's what I thought of it. Because eventually, when I got into a position where I worked for a bigger company that had HR, that was what was happening. You know, it was all a lot of it was compliance with laws, which, you know, obviously needs need to happen. And, you know, there's no way that small business owners can know all of the laws that they need to be compliant with, that they are often breaking. But also, it was really, I saw so many things that were just incredibly demoralizing, particularly with conflict resolution, that were more about just protecting the company from lawsuits than they were actually advocating for employees. And so when I was about to get into this program to do this 10-week course that would end in a 125-question exam, I thought, okay, 
I just need to take from this what I can. I just need to find out what these laws are, what these standards are, so that I can manipulate it to my will and make it better for employees. And that's not what you learned, was it? Not at all. In fact, HR has best intentions possible, you know, as a concept. It came out of labor crises that, you know, led to the forming of unions. It was, in fact, meant to protect employees. It's, in fact, these bad actors, particularly on the, you know, as you move higher up in these corporate levels, that bend all of that to basically benefit these companies and to keep them, you know, not, not liable for lawsuits, basically. So I, there was so much to learn. It was really an exhaustive, you know, comprehensive view of HR, which was very exciting and very daunting at times. And I can't even say that I have fully retained all of this information, but still I have, you know, this 425 page textbook to refer back to. I have, you know, a, a teacher who I can consult with, you know, and send messages to and be like, am I interpreting this correctly? Because that's the other thing is you have to interpret laws and interpreting laws is really, really difficult. Even if they were spelled out to the T, it's really, really difficult to say, hey, are you actually being compliant with this? Or are you like wiggling out of it? Or is there a little bit of gray area here? Yeah, that totally makes sense because I feel like as a barista, when I first started learning about jobs and my rights and things like that, I would maybe ask my employer and maybe they would have a different interpretation of what a law meant. But if I go back to those experiences, I'm like, wait, no, that's not quite right. Or, oh, I see how they made this work for them, but this really should have been working for me. And it's really hard to read laws, especially if you don't have a background in like in HR or law or if you're like 17 and just starting out and just learning what work even is. So it's really interesting that you talk about how these laws are meant to be interpreted and how you kind of do need someone who's almost like a translator to explain how they work. Yeah, you need that from both ends, too. We're not just talking about baristas. Baristas probably need it more because they are for lack of a better term, they're lower on the totem pole and they're not given this information up front. But also business owners can't possibly know all of this stuff that they have to be compliant with, that they have to take into consideration, both when they're starting their business and certainly as they're growing their business. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of stuff to go through. It's a lot of things to have, especially because, you know, even in HR school, which is a very funny thing to say. I love HR school. Right. In HR school, one of the first things you learn is that businesses with fewer than 100 employees often just don't have an HR manager, which makes sense. You know, it's like you think that you can do it as a business owner, but you also probably don't have the capital to have a pretty expensive person on salary, you know, to make sure that all of this stuff is being taken care of. I have to imagine as well for small coffee companies who have, you know, anywhere from like two employees to maybe 10 or 20 employees, there's this idea of casual happiness. And 
I'm going to coin that term, I think, of the idea that like, oh, we're all together and we're happy. We don't need a ton of rules or guidelines or anything because this just works. And I imagine that people internalize HR as a way to regiment that experience, which is absolutely not true. Um, I think we're learning from unions like Colectivo and the Tartine Union that rules are actually really, really helpful for creating a framework for people to be happy. But I wonder if that was something that you felt or experienced during your time in coffee that like, we don't want rules because like this just works or like, I don't want someone to tell me how to do things. Absolutely. You feel a sense of terrific independence when you get to be the one person who's working at the coffee shop. You control the music, you control the mood, you control all of that. And so I think that's the first thing you think of when, oh, now there have to be rules. And I think that's also what a a lot of, you know, coffee company owners who don't want their employees to unionize then say, you have so much freedom. If we go down this path of unionization, or if we go down this path of having very specific HR, then there are all sorts of rules. There are all sorts of rules that everybody needs to follow, and it makes it into this like regimented existence. But that really, in fact, does not have to happen. There is so much room to interpret, to you know, joyfully interpret all of these things that can ultimately not only help out baristas, but can help out coffee company owners as well, can make everybody's lives easier, can put everybody on this right path to, you know, as much social justice as you can accomplish in a coffee company. What were some of the most surprising things you learned doing this training? I think one of the big things, and I, so I had known about exempt employees before. It was something that I learned a little bit too late after I had become a coffee shop manager and then moved into a different role as a director of events, that salaries have to be at a certain point for you to be exempt from overtime. And administrative management roles, they fall under this category. Yeah, wait, can you just, just really quickly, can you define exactly what an exempt employee is? So an exempt employee is an employee who works full time and who meets a certain salary threshold. So it is, you know, well above what like hourly minimum wage is. And they meet that threshold, which means you then do not have to pay them overtime, which makes sense f- maybe (laughs) for certain roles. But, you know, think about being a coffee shop manager. You and I have both been coffee shop managers before. It's not only a full-time role, but you have to be available to deal with crises. And are you keeping track of your hours when you're doing that? Sometimes. If I was getting paid, there are certain jobs that I got paid hourly and some jobs that I got paid a lump salary. So it really, I mean, it really depends, but um, what, yeah, let's talk about that salary exemption because I have to imagine that most coffee shop managers who are maybe in that ladder position of not necessarily keeping track of their hours, maybe getting like a lump sum every week or month, um, probably don't meet that threshold salary. Quite possibly. I certainly wasn't. So, right now, the annual salary of an exempt employee should be $35,568 nationally. Okay. And 
there are seven states that have different rules from that that put it above either slightly or considerably. Some states have uh, different laws depending on how many employees you have. So, for example, in California, it is you know fewer than 25 employees make X amount of mo- money, fewer than 26 employees for the whole company, exempt employees make more money. And it's the same in Washington state. Oddly, Alaska is one of the seven states that has Interesting. a higher than uh, higher than the minimum requirement. Um, but so California and New York are not surprisingly the highest. And I want to know if you can guess what the uh, what the laws or what the uh, minimum is in California. So we're talking about in California, if you have more than 26 employees and New York is specific to New York City. Okay, so I'm going to do I lived in both states. I have worked as a manager in both states. So I'm going to use I'm going to tell you what I made in those (laughs) positions and see if it met the minimum threshold. So I worked at a coffee shop in Oakland and I was making $18 an hour as the manager, but I was paid as a salary-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of a hybrid. But there were solo shifts, so I also collected tips. So it was, uh, it was weird. But $18 an hour got me to about 40. I'm, I'm doing the math right now. So it's like 18 times 40 times 52. Got me to $37,000 a year. In building up your salary from tips or potentially bonuses in California and New York, you have to be making at least $58,000 a year. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. Okay, my first coffee shop job was in, not my first coffee shop job, my first manager job was in 2012. So maybe the laws have changed since then, but it was in New York. Okay, but yeah, but still, it was New York City. I was making $600 a week as the manager and I was not taking any tips. So and which is wild. So 600 times 40 times 52 is nope, that's wrong math. Uh, 600 is a week, so that's times uh 52. I was making $31,000 a year. I'd have to check to see if that is, in fact, compliant like for 2012, because it even went up from 2020 to 2021. But I recall, you know, three years ago when I was in a different administrative position and I found out, you know, what managers were supposed to be making, because then it correlated to my salary as the manager of a different department, Mm -hmm. that it was in like the $57,000 range. I've never made that much money. (laughs) (laughs) it's no it's wild and it's and so uh, to be clear also in california if you have fewer than 25 employees which a lot of smaller businesses will it's fifty four thousand dollars. but even still still like that's a considerable amount of money that you may or may not be making right and that's an important thing for people to know especially when they do make that jump from barista to some sort of job that is salaried because that's usually the progression of these jobs exactly and i think that's probably one of my biggest takeaways from this entire experience of you know learning the general ins and outs of hr is that people just don't know these things and the information is out there but it's out there in a lot of different places like even in trying to get 
this like condensed information in table form, it took me a while to search it out. Like this isn't necessarily on government websites on, you know, Department of Labor website in digestible form. You really have to hunt for this information. So I know that a lot of smaller coffee businesses are struggling with this. I know even, you know, medium to large size coffee businesses where the owners are still doing all of this, are still taking on all of this. And it's too much. It's too much for all these people to keep all of this stuff straight, which is why, you know, beyond the initial idea of us just making businesses more accountable and you know doing better as far as black employees go as far as black customers go you have to be doing better for everybody and you have to have the opportunity to ask questions in a judgment-free zone which is you know what i i want to do that's what i want to be for people and i want to be that for baristas as well i want people to come to me and say, hey, is this enough money for this? And people do, which is wonderful. But, you know, I want to spread it out beyond people I know. I want you to be able to come to me and say, hey, I don't know if this is fishy, but it might be fishy, right? Right, right. I feel like I get you and I are probably both uniquely poised in that we probably both see a lot of those questions. Um, I get a lot of questions about like, I got offered this amount. This is the, my previous position. What should I do? Or is this enough money? Um, and sometimes I'll do that kind of searching. Well, I'll go to Department of Labor websites. I'll go through statutes and and laws for specific states. But you're right. The number one, this information is really hard to find. But two, like if a person's asking me this question, I have to imagine that there are ten more people with that question who just don't know who to ask. Absolutely. So. It, this seems to be a major issue across this industry. It has been as long as we've worked in it. Right, exactly. And I believe that the answer is not to, like, tut-tut the people who are doing it wrong. I still want to come to the – like, I still want to lead from the idea that people just don't know any better. Right. And then present them that information and then – you know, go go from there. And it can be tailored to each company. I do want to offer consulting services at this point to make it easier on businesses, other than just, you know, giving them a bunch of information and say, you know, have at it, interpret it yourself, you know, go for it. I think that this, you know, comes into play with two different possible options, you know, with baristas you you know come to me my dms are open ask me whatever questions you have about you know human resources operations like obviously we've just been talking about salaries and that's a huge part of human resources but even in just like the ethics of you know being in a company and employee rights i want to be there for you in order to do that and businesses especially businesses owned by you know the marginalized communities that we serve through Glittercat, I also want to help you out as well. Um, and businesses not owned by people from marginalized communities, I can also help you out. It might cost a little bit more. I mean, as it should. <laughs> so one thing that I want to talk about is what an employee who works at a company that doesn't have an HR program 
can begin to do to advocate for their rights because it can be really daunting if you don't have that structure in place or you have people like not you don't have like a structure to depend on what are some of the things that you've learned that like baristas should at least be aware of uh beyond like exempt versus non-exempt what are some things that like they should take away from um maybe like a conversation with someone like you I think that they need to know that there are government agencies that specifically deal with all of this. That's like the big thing that you can make appeals to those agencies to, you know, I mean, for better or worse, potentially report a business that is doing unlawful labor practices, which a lot of them are. I think that you can also hopefully approach it from a you know, more as a conversation with business owners in order to just see where they are, to see if the intentions are right and they're just falling short because they don't necessarily know any better. Perhaps they're completely exhausted, which, you know, is often an excuse that we run up against that is no excuse really, but still to try to get your finger on the pulse of where business owners are actually at as far as their employees are concerned. And, you know, to determine if it's good for you to stay with that business, because what I hope will happen, you know, through our work through this and hopefully through people being inspired by our work through this is that they will start to have like really, you know, bare minimum, but great standards for what it is to run companies and to, you know, serve employees in that capacity, because your job is your life, whether we like it or not. It's not your whole life necessarily, but it's a significant portion of your life. You think about it when you go home. You know, it's it's very difficult, especially with the emotional labor that comes with working in a coffee company, particularly in customer facing roles, to leave it behind. And so you do need it to, and you do need to be treated well. You do need to be advocated for. It seems like the general understanding here is that the more we set these expectations up in individuals, in people, be it people who are looking for jobs, like baristas who are maybe entering the field or going to another position, or people who own and run coffee shops, that the expectation will just be met like like equally. Like I'll go into a job interview and say and ask, like, what are your salary minimums or something like that? And that's kind of like an off-the-cuff question. But the idea is that like I'll be empowered to ask these questions more the more that I know about these things. And once more employees kind of set that expectation, no, that's not right either. I, I no, no, go with it because I, 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 I'm getting spurred from it. Yeah, but okay. So, because I don't want the expectation to necessarily come from employees because that's unfair. But at the same time, employees like like employees have the power to change what's happening by setting these expectations. So it's kind of one of those things where like, yes, coffee shops need to be paying their baristas more money, but like if this is like a long-term goal and baristas need that money now, then they also have to advocate for themselves. Does that make sense? 100%. And it happens at the very beginning. It happens in the interview process. I think if you can think about times where you were interviewed did you ask a lot of questions especially in the beginning when you were first getting into coffee no I didn't I started asking more questions later what was the response when you were asking more questions in interviews I I think so 
I think it's hard for for me to use my experience as no, that's not true. I would have said it would have been hard for me to use my experience just because um, at, at at the time t- towards like my later part of my career, I was working for Barista Magazine. I think people were a little bit more afraid of me. But mm. I did actually apply for a job where I recently, not that long ago, where I asked about salaries. And instead of them answering the question, they asked me what my salary expectation was. And I remember having a moment where I was like, don't answer that question. But I did. And they said that that it was too, they, they mentioned that their salary range was like perhaps a little bit lower. And then they stopped talking to me. Mm. I mean, this gets back to an issue that you and I have been talking about for years, which is just salary transparency. Like, mm-hmm. why aren't, why aren't these on job descriptions? You know, why would, uh, because would they have significantly fewer employees if they actually listed what the salary range was? Or what would we think about that organization once we found out what the salaries were? Exactly. And, you know, look, perhaps quick to judgment. I mean, I'm stupidly optimistic. I'd like to believe that people can change once confronted with the error of their ways, especially with, you know, paying people enough. But you know, long and short of it is, if if that were really very true, I think we would have seen, especially once, you know, once all of the um, wage surveys went out a few years ago, mm-hmm. you know, and we saw the wide range of what people were making as baristas, you know, I, I, I it didn't change a bit. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> no, which is really disappointing, but. It is ultimately putting, I think, a little bit more pressure and setting more standards. You know, the companies who truly want to make a difference in this industry, be radical about it. You know, have wage transparency. It's not actually going to affect you in a negative way. Not, you know, yeah. if if you are if you are putting your best effort forward, you know. Yeah, totally. I probably like right as the pandemic started no maybe even before i interviewed uh one of the founders of um oddly correct coffee and they are super transparent about their wages like every job description says like we started this they have a wage guarantee as well so you are guaranteed to make 18 dollars an hour be it through a mix of wages and tips, or if your tips do not get you up to $18 an hour, they will compensate you for that. Um, Mm -hmm. But they're super transparent about it. Like they will list for you, like how this works. Um, And if they can do it, they're not a huge company. It's not about having a ton of muscle behind your company. Then like, why can't other companies do it? And I think it comes from them being very organized. When I talked, when I had this conversation on Boss Barista, you can go backwards. It's about somewhere, I think, in January of 2020. Um, they spoke very specifically about just like having a plan and having things written down. And I think a lot of companies are afraid to do that. They're afraid of anybody peeking behind the curtain in any sort of way. And look, you can keep things close to the chest, absolutely, especially where it protects people. But if it's not protecting people, don't keep it close to the chest. Right. In fact, 
you know, not only is it not protecting your employees, it's not protecting the industry at large. Companies have to make these big grand gestures because other companies have to be compared against them. And, you know, that's the way capitalism works, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think there's also something that I think is really interesting about this discussion that we're having about HR, and I want to extrapolate it a little bit outward is that it's not necessarily just a responsibility to your employees, even though I would argue that that's your first responsibility. And I think you would agree with that. But it's also a responsibility to the coffee industry at large. If we believe that this industry will continue going and continue to be a bastion of specialty coffee, then we have to invest in people's ability to work within the industry. 100%, absolutely. And that's what I hope to continue to do with this HR program. I don't just want to be a gatekeeper of this information that I've learned and this information I have in this enormous fucking textbook. <laughs> you know, I want not only for people to have that information, I want to make more HR professionals. I want to get a lot of people up to this point where they are HR certified, even if they don't become heads of HR coffee companies or wherever they end up going, it'll still empower them with more information to be better leaders and to set this example that eventually people will have to follow if they want good talent, if they want to get baristas in at, you know, an entry level and then have those people help grow their companies. Mm hmm. Is there any suggestions that you have for coffee companies who are maybe listening to this and thinking, well, I can't employ an HR professional. Maybe, maybe I'm not necessarily interested in a consultant for like a one-time thing. Is there a model that a company like this can employ where maybe someone in their business gets HR certified and they work maybe 10 hours a week on this or something like that? Like, are there ways to incorporate some of the practices that you've outlined? I think so. Absolutely. For one thing, I want to put out the initial idea that I have that I have absolutely no time to do because it would be my one focus, which is I wanted to create an HR collective, you know, a a, like basically one or multiple people overseeing HR services for multiple companies that had, you know, fewer employees and could charge a reasonable price price per employee, basically. And that would help out with conflict resolution. It would help out with setting proper wage standards with, you know, keeping companies compliant. Somebody needs to take up that idea. So that's my call to action for everybody. (laughs) In the meantime, My HR certification, ultimately, with the class to, you know, learn how to take the exam and the exam itself was about $1,000, which I don't think is a whole lot of money to invest either in business owners themselves doing that or in employees to, you know, oversee it for, like you said, not necessarily 40 hours a week, a full-time job, but to give them a potential salary increase and to give them a skill that they can also potentially take somewhere else. Because I think what we, what you and I have talked about at certain points, but that still doesn't get said enough is investing in employees beyond their time with you is really, really crucial. It's not only crucial just as, you know, somebody who's trying to steward people, who's trying to, you know, make professionals out of people. It's better for your company because if you say, hey, I know that there's potentially a time beyond our company for you, 
often I think they'll stay. Often I think they will be able to invest in your company because they'll know that you don't just care about them when you are in the shop, when you are answering emails. You care about them beyond that. That's a really, really good point that I don't think enough coffee companies take into account. And I think that one of the things that I've repeated more than I've repeated anything else Okay, I'm going to say this. That's like the third thing I've repeated the most. The first thing I've probably repeated the most is document everything, which is an important part of this conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. The second thing I've probably repeated is your boss is not your friend. Um, But the third thing I've probably repeated is that baristas or anybody that works for you, when they leave, they're like your alumni. They're the people who are going to talk your business up or they're going to tell people don't buy coffee from this person or I had a terrible time working here and this is why. And I know that you and I have had like fond conversations of the of people we have worked for who we have really enjoyed and being able to share that is really exciting. So realizing that the people that you employ are going to maybe leave or carry with them experiences that are going to go beyond just your time with them, I think is really, really critical. And I feel like people get really, really stuck on this idea that like knowledge must stay within this business. And I'm not really sure where that comes from. It comes from nervousness and from competition, doesn't it? The idea that we're all competing with each other when in fact, we're just trying to keep this industry afloat. We're trying to keep this industry accountable and we're trying to keep it equitable for as many people as possible. At least I think a lot of us are. So yeah, it's, I, I just, I can't help but think how wonderful it was when I was in a, you know, supervisory position and people would come up to me and, you know, ask me for a recommendation while they were still working for me for another job. That was a brilliant experience. That Mm -hmm. meant that they trusted me. And the idea that they would be able to move on to something that would be, you know, better for their work-life balance or better for them, you know, money-wise, certainly, because I could never imagine that I would pay them enough was wonderful. It was a really enriching feeling. It feels like as we wrap up this conversation that we've obviously talked about lots of concrete things, knowing the difference between exempt employees and non-exempt employees, knowing how much you should be paid if you're salaried. These are all really important, but we've also talked really holistically about just an approach to employment that it feels like HR gives you the framework to build. Yes, absolutely. It, the amount of things that it covers in a company, it covers everything in a company. And that I could never have imagined, you know, especially when, you know, you're getting most of your HR services a lot of the times from whatever your payroll company is. No, they actually set the culture, you know, and they should set the culture for for your company. And whether that's you as an employer who have, you know, some grounding in HR doing that, or whether you have an HR manager, you can't forget it, that it's the culture, that it is setting the culture for your company that will last beyond a lot of people's employment there. Eric, thank you for taking time to chat with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Ashley. That was Eric Grimm. All of the projects that we talked about at the top of the episode, 
Glitter Cat Barista, Ghost Town Oats, The Chocolate Barista. They all have Instagram accounts, so go follow them. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you feel grace for yourself after listening to it. We will see you in three weeks. We are going to take next week off. So we'll see you then. Thanks for listening, friends. I'm just looking for a better day. Boss Barista is produced by me, Ashley Rodriguez. You can find a transcription of this episode on my newsletter, along with an accompanying article about this episode every Thursday at bossbarista.substack.com. To support the show, you can visit www.patreon.com bossbarista. We have over 80 patrons supporting the show right now, which is incredible. And that helps keep the show alive. We pay guests through this fund, we pay for website hosting, and we make donations. Half of our patron donations are currently pledged to five different nonprofits, each at $50 a month. Asada's Daughters, the Loveland Foundation, the Native American Rights Fund, the Grocery Run Club, and the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Again, if you want to support Boss Barista, consider making a monthly donation at www.patreon.com slash boss barista. Another amazing way to support the show is to share this episode with just one person, a friend, someone who you think would learn something from this episode, anybody. Sharing on social media is also a huge help along with giving us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. As a small production, these things matter a lot. So if you can take a little time, share out some of your favorite quotes from this episode, and tag us. That would be amazing. We're at Boss Barista Podcast on Instagram and Boss underscore Barista on Twitter. You can also send me an email at bossbaristapodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next week.